Welcome to Wireless Future. This is episode 39. Uh, I'm Eric Larsson and I'm here as always with my colleague Emil Björnsson. Hello Emil, how are you this morning? I'm great as always. It's always nice to talk to you. Indeed. And this morning we have a guest, uh, Parisa Agdam. Um, Parisa works at Ericsson Research in Gothenburg. So this is like a triangle recording with uh, Stockholm, Gothenburg, uh, Linköping. Uh, and Parisa is the um, technical lead of a European funded project, 6G Tandem, that uh, develops uh, radio stripe technology for terahertz. Hello, Parisa. How are you this morning? Hello, Eric. Hello, Emil. I'm doing good. Thank you. It's really an honor to finally get to be with your podcast that I've been a huge fan of. <laughs> well, it's great to have you, Parisa. Thank you. Um, um, so where do we start, Emil? Um, radio stripes. Yeah, I think this is sort of a good opportunity to, to not only hear what an individual researcher is working on, but really it's sort of the, the, the concept behind some of these real 60 projects that are happening, and then particularly the one that, that you are leading here. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and I've been thinking about MIMO technology and Massive MIMO especially. I mean, massive MIMO is like air, right? It's everywhere, but nobody talks about it. It's like we don't sit here talking that we have air around us, um, but we have massive MIMO around us um, uh, since uh, when did the commercial deployments actually first happen, Emil? 19, the, I think, something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that, so more than five years. Huh? So we have massive MIMO as a core technology in 5G. And then the question is what the next step on the this technology journey is going to be. And there's currently a lot of talking in, uh, I think, both in academia and industry about distributed uh, massive uh, MIMO and cell-free massive MIMO is another uh, term <laughs> for, for, for the same thing, where the idea is to spread out the MIMO antennas uh, geographically. Uh, and, and put them in in the form of antenna panels on the wall or put them in some other distributed uh, configuration. And I think a particular uh, way of deploying um, distributed more cell-free MIMO has been discussed a lot is known as radio stripes, where the idea is that uh, we basically build like a long cable and along this cable there will be antennas or antenna units and then we can hang this cable or, or well nail it to the wall or, or put it somewhere where it fits in um, and radio stripes are now being taken to the terahertz uh, band that's the project parisa that you are uh, leading yes. um, so where where are the challenges here? In I mean, how is this supposed to work to start with? And what are the challenges in building radio stripes at the terahertz band? Yeah, well, um, to start with, I think uh, one of the most important factors is the hardware cost. Um, given that uh, at very high frequencies, at subterahertz specifically, uh, the harsh uh, environmental um, 
propagation characteristics of subterahertz make these uh, deployments very sensitive, right? So um, you need more antenna elements, you need more radio units, as we call it in uh, 60 tandem. So the hardware cost of them can be huge in specific cases um, because you need, um, specifically it's a line of sight that is a mode of propagation here that we are uh, specifically looking for. So um, you need more um, units to be closer to the EUEs, the user entities, the devices, the handsets, um, and also um, that then these many devices uh, that need their own self uh, local oscillators need to be phase synchronized. Um, that was that was where we thought of the radio stripes. Actually, that you will have a central unit, central tandem unit, we call it, or central processing unit, that you generate the high frequencies, the subterahertz frequencies, and you. Um, send the signals towards these uh, radio units. Mm. So do you sort of overcome the problem of generating uh, LO signals in each unit, which makes it more complicated, more expensive. Um, so yeah, that, that is what one of the, um, one of the problems. Uh, we see that um, again, uh, subterrace signals are, they have issues with the blockage when you have these uh, higher frequencies you have higher losses right and then you need more antenna elements more antenna elements means you have um, tinier smaller um, beam widths and then uh, you need more beam forming um, yeah Mm. So you're basically summarizing the challenges of terahertz operation here, right? That of course, we have very high Doppler, so it'll be difficult sure. to track the channel yes. and all of that. But then maybe even worse and more importantly, we have a high path loss. Yes. Um, and uh, propagation is mostly line of sight. So um, propagation paths will be very sensitive to blocking. And then uh, on top of that, there is the difficulty of phase synchronizing local oscillators that are situated um, far apart. And this is where the tandem project comes in and basically generates a signal centrally and distributes the signal through multiple antenna units over a radio stripe. That yeah. is great summary. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So there's obviously a lot of technical challenges to overcome here, which of course makes you wonder why do you even want to, to overcome such things like this? So uh, this is an EU-funded project and uh, I was uh, trying to submit some competing proposals in the last years, <laughs> and which didn't go through. And I think some uh, of the thing is that you really need a, not only technical challenges, but a good vision and objective of a project like this. So, so what were these objectives for this 60 tandem? Yeah, well, I mean, the the tandem project, the tandem name comes from the fact that uh, we envision combining a sub 10 or sub 6 gigahertz um, radio base station, radio access, together with the radio stripe concept operating at sub terahertz uh, frequencies. So that is the main description of this uh, dual frequency um, project aiming for 6G. Uh, applications. And um, the main and most important objective is, well, currently there are multi-career um, 
deployments, of course, but they work one frequency at a time. And um, oftentimes these um, combination of dual frequency is not really optimized. And uh, our aim is that um, we take advantage of the reliable uh, communication of uh, lower frequencies and um, um, tap into the very high data rates of sub-terahertz deployment. So there, there, there will be a great, great marriage of these two frequencies. Um, and also um, the second most important uh, thing about six tandem is the radio stripe concept, where uh, we envision that it will be a cost efficient, easily deployable um, distributed MIMO system where you, uh, this is how I envision it uh, personally, that uh, you are going to have a Taylor Swift event uh, in an arena with a huge, uh, it's a huge event, many number of users densely populated in the small area relatively. And then uh, you uh, envision that given that uh, in the future use cases, there will be XR applications, for example, you need high data rates, you need really reliable communication. You have your sub, um, or sub six or 3.5 gigahertz, um, like radio dot type uh, of uh, um, uh, yeah access points in, like Ericsson's radio dot, I mean, and then you say, oh, okay, we, we are not going to make it with these. So someone comes and puts the fibers on the ceiling, on the walls, and then you have this system operating optimally. So that was our vision with uh, six tandem. Mm. So it's really this um, uh, tandem operation where there is a sub 10 gigahertz network that provides base coverage and then the terahertz radio stripe on top of that that offers spotwise enhancement but with very high i mean spotwise enhancement enhancement of the coverage but with very high data rates right and i think the the word tandem is, is particularly well used here i think a lot of abbreviations that you find for for projects might not really mean much for the actual project but i think i, I mean today you could deploy a millimeter wave base station at one location and a massive mime base station in sub six at some other place and, and in a way they will take care of coverage and capacity in different ways but here you really co-locate them and you are, are have the vision to to use information between the different bands really uh, let yeah, them work within, in tandem within the very properly. same within the very same coverage area um, yes right so, yeah so so now let's talk about radio stripes and the way that the these RF because actually for the terahertz operation it is the actual RF signal that will be carried on the stripe right I mean there'll be a central unit that generates the RF using a single LO or local oscillator and then is the actual RF signals that, that will be carried over the stripe. Um, so here's my mock-up of a terahertz uh, stripe. This is a eight millimeter, I think, um, the sort of plastic hose. And uh, I think it serves well to illustrate the concept of the stripe because this is more or less what they're going to look like, right? I mean, I'm not sure about the diameter of the final thing. It might be slightly thinner than my plastic hose here, but um, it will be connected at one end to a uh, central unit that generates the RF and then it will be attached, nailed to the, I don't know, ceiling maybe or hidden somewhere. Oh, can't be hidden, I suppose, because there has to be line of sight, right? Too. And then every meter or so, there will be a small 
radio uh, unit attached to it. And the radio unit will contain some antenna patches. It will contain uh, uh, maybe some switches and some very basic electronics, but nothing coherent, right? So no LO or anything. But it will have to contain an amplifier because the the stripe itself, I mean, the, the, it carries the terahertz signal and it uh, that stripe attenuates the signal such that every meter or so the signal has to be reamplified in order not to get lost when the stripe gets long. Um, so could you speak to like what are the advantages of the stripe architecture and, and particularly so my understanding has been that the stripe itself that, that will carry the signal it, it, it'll be plastic in fact. I mean, it won't look like a hose exactly, but it will have a plastic core and then it'll have some cladding around it and maybe some other materials. Could you speak to how the what the advantages are of, yeah. of this carrying signals over a plastic stripe like this? Yeah, so maybe I can start with the fact that these um, plastic microwave fibers, as we call them, or dielectric waveguides, are simply, as you say, plastic waveguides. And based their um, their basic functionality comes from the two total internal reflection, where you have your uh, dielectric core and then you have your foam cladding or what whatever type of cladding. The core can be two by one, two millimeter by one millimeter um, uh, rectangular core, and then uh, you talked about the cross section dimensions. It might come to few millimeters in yeah diameter. a few millimeters so so let's recap i mean just for you um well for me and for the audience uh, maybe that so wavelength here we're talking about so let's see so one gigahertz is 30 centimeters huh? 10 gigahertz is three centimeters and when we say terahertz really we mean sub terahertz we mean maybe 100 gigahertz which is then three millimeters so the diameter of the core of the plastic fiber here actually carries the RF signal. It has a diameter on the order of the wavelength. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, and maybe I, I missed this uh, information. The frequency band we are aiming here is D-band. is between uh, 130, 170 gigahertz roughly. Uh, of course, we have some specified bands there. Um, you, Yeah. So it's um, roughly 140, 150 gigahertz uh, central frequency. Right. So wavelength is about maybe Even one smaller. or two millimeters, <laughs> something yeah. of that sort. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So right. exactly. So is this uh, like a the fiber that we use for optical fibers, uh, internet connections, but at a different scale, or is this something entirely different? That is a great question. So this is no optical fiber. This is plastic uh, fiber, as you say. And the decor material is, it can be PTFE. Um, the cladding can be polyethylene, PE. Uh, um, so there is this, um, I, I like this diagram. There is this um, link efficiency on the y-axis, and then you have the distance. For lower distances for communication, you have the copper and you have the link efficiency very high. Then you also have this uh, VCEL, Vixel, right? Uh, type of lasers, as you say, optical fibers for very high distances. Like the whole planet is connected by optical fibers, right? With high data rate communication. But when it comes to the mid range and 
towards short-range communication, where you the, with the application of data centers, when you need hundreds of gigabit per second, uh, or the car. Um, the, the automotive uh, communication, the communication in the car, which is between 5 to 15 meters roughly. Um, there, we don't have a clear uh, solution uh, with this uh, type of waveguides. Um, so optical fibers are very high data rate, high power consuming for these applications. You need the uh, silicon sources, right? And then for that matter, you need the interconnects, which are very expensive. You need the micrometer alignment um, with the sources, right? So, which which makes it um, very, and also very uh, temperature sensitive that they are. So they are not really good for data centers and these medium short range applications we are aiming for. Um, and so um, these type of fibers, the ones that Eric was showing uh, are perfect because you have very small dimensions at very high frequency. So higher than 70 gigahertz, the dimensions become smaller and smaller. Mm. You don't see them if you deploy them on the walls and ceilings. Um, um, uh, the pro and they are not sensitive at all to mis misalignments. It's a few hundred microns we have tested even. Um, um, and the, the, the only problem is the losses. Um, and um, that's what we are trying to engineer, uh, employing new materials, new new ways of um, implementing the fiber. There are these um, hollow core fibers there are, that you have struts that holds the whole um, core. So, I mean, the, 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 the engineering problem there is to lower the losses. Yeah. Mm. Mm, to lower the losses. I mean, so you mentioned materials here in PTFE, I think in particular. Yes. I mean, to the layman, this is all plastics, right? Like a pet yes. bottle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, I guess another thing here is that the, the fiber, even though, I mean, it might end up looking like something of, of this sort here, like the, the plastic hose, um, you would also need to carry like some electrical wires along, right, to operate these, because there will be switches at the antenna units there won't be and there will be amplifiers more importantly they need they need a power source so would yes. those be powered like through an electrical uh, little line that goes along with the fiber or could they be powered somehow from the rf signal um, itself or how, how how is that envisioned here that's a great uh, point actually our vision was that uh, at some point, maybe at the end of the project, towards the end of the project, we will have an answer to that because you want to have some um, copper lines, right? As you say, for the power, for maybe digital processing, if you need um, to to be able to integrate it into the fiber. For this type, for this project that we are uh, having, I don't think we will be able to do that. Uh, we will probably have PCBs uh, that will power up our circuits. Um, so, so our circuits will be packaged and then will be um, sitting and assembled on the PCB and then the fiber will come towards that. So maybe you can even use the PCB as a holder of mm -hmm. the, the fiber. Yeah, sure. I mean, there'll be PCBs um, um, yeah. at any point, like there is an antenna unit, there'll be a small PCB, there'll be a small patch antenna, there'll be a switch and an amplifier. Yes. And the, the amplifier now, importantly, not, not, not to amplify the signal that goes out on the air right but rather to amplify the signal that continues on through the stripe to the next yeah. antenna unit yeah. because as you already alluded to the this the rf signal will become attenuated as it travels through the through the stripe true 
Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, we have identified two types of um, units in our project. One is the radio unit. As you say, we will have amplifications and um, PAs and LNA switches, uh, TXRX switches, and so on for the uh, radiation part of it after the, for the antenna. But we also have defined a booster unit where you don't necessarily have to have the antennas only to boost the uh, only the to boost the signal to yeah. repeat on the on the stripe more or less exactly mm, because yeah. uh, we see that uh, as you say uh, the the losses are quite high reportedly it's between two to five dB per meter mm, two to um, five dB per meter that's quite yeah. a lot I mean imagine that's ten quite... meters of stripe then that would be like twenty or f up to fifty dB loss uh, yes um, so that's the... why. Um, this is how we have thought about this, that, well, we will come to that later on, but these units are done in silicon, germanium, and they are quite cheap. And the idea and the vision for the future is that those units will somehow be integrated in the fiber, that you just have the fiber. You don't even have these intermittent parts. Right. You don't see right. it, at least. So it really looks like a... Uh, exactly. A, uh, <laughs> a, yeah. The vision, at least. Of, right. Yeah, so um, how will this integrate with a sub-10 gigahertz um, macro system? Um, Emil, right. I think. Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, in principle, uh, maybe I should first ask you the question. So if you uh, want to send now signals at both uh, the sub-terahertz and at the lower frequency, do you need to have different waveguides for this? Or is it the one and, and the same? Ah, oh, you mean uh, if... Uh, no, we, I mean, the, the, the plastic waveguide is only intended for the sub-terahertz. Right, so, so for, for be, the, yeah. then the lower frequencies, uh, how do you integrate that into the stripe? Uh, by lower frequency, you mean the macro? Stage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, no, I mean they are they are independent systems, right? So, right. Um, so so let's say we have these radio dots working at three point five gigahertz, um, and then you have your separate central unit which feeds in these uh, fibers. And our envision system is that you will have these um, set, like separate fibers that are being fed from the central unit. And then in each uh, fiber, you have several of these radio units, which have this amplification and, and patch antennas. Um, and I can maybe mention this um, followed up by um, Eric's uh, point on um, the losses and how many units you need to have, for example, on the same fiber. To begin with, we, we thought maybe 10 meters uh, apart they can be. But then when we did the calculations of the, uh, the, t the amount of power you will have um, that you need to have at the each input of each unit, and we have set some limits, like let's say 25, 30 dB for each unit, because this, is, this sort of limit is imposed by the fact that you have uh, very short distances between the input and output, and you will probably have leakage, right? And crosstalk and coupling, and which makes it, if you have very high gain, uh, then you will have self-oscillation. So let's say you have a limited um, power, limited gain there, and then um, uh, you are trying to see, okay, we have, let's say, 5 dB or 4 dB per meter of uh, loss. Uh, 
at what in intervals you need these units. So we came to a number five to six meters at most. You, you cannot tolerate more than that. So at, at current uh, state, we are thinking one to three meters that we repeat these units. And then um, this sort of also poses the requirements on the system, antenna coverage, services, you know, the, everything else. Right. Uh, and if you now have multiple antennas along this dry period, you want to send different signals from them. Can you still send these signals over the same uh, waveguide? Um, so, okay, that that is another point, true. Um, we have... Um, only um, we have decided to have one antenna unit on per per um, mm. like serving. Uh, right. so, that, so that's why there is a switch, right? That every yes. antenna right. unit there is a switch. Yeah. I see. So it's like mm. an antenna selection. Yeah, system it's like then. an antenna mm. selection. In exactly. That respect. <laughs> All right. So, so let's go, go back then to, to the question. So I guess if you deploy a system with uh, two different frequencies here, one macro and, and one sub terahertz frequency, then the, the simplest implementation of this would be that there is a scheduler somewhere who decides is a user in system A or in system B. Uh, and then you, maybe if you're blocked, you, you are moved down to, to the, the macro. But uh, now if you want them to work more in tandem with each other, uh, how deep can you or what can you exploit by letting the systems work together yeah so i think uh, we have some previous uh, studies that they have done uh, regarding the tandem operation for example there has been uh, this study where they had this digital um sub six gigahertz um, macro station uh, where they tried to exploit uh, that for um, extracting um, spatial information of the users, which you then feed it into um, the subterahertz system, right? Then you can have some machine learning processes trying to identify blockage, um, um, uh, which beam to use. Um, so as you say, this, uh, this can be sort of um, one way that these two work together, these two um, frequencies. Um, so um yeah i mean we haven't come that far yet with the project now we are marking the first year of the project but that is the aim that we see how they can work together um it sh should should one uh, frequency have only data the one the other one maybe the the subterrains only carrying data the other one can have the control control uh, controlling of the signals the mobility information maybe comes from the um, sub 10 gigahertz. Right. So you, you were mentioning that you've been running the product now for, for one year. So what uh, kind of result do you have so far? Maybe use cases is one of the things that you, you typically oh, yes. start with in a project <laughs> like this. Indeed. Yes. Uh, actually, our um, um, the first uh, two deliverers that we had was about the use cases and the, the required models uh, for the future of this uh, uh, project. So, and, and the use case uh, identification was really a, a sort of exhaustive work <laughs> with it. Uh -huh. So we started with scouting use cases from predefined um, um, projects like um, HexaX, Reindeer, they, they had a collective of uh, use cases. We started with that. We started with what we think 
the healthcare system, the 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 entertainments and the industries will be needing um, uh, as a sexual use case, and also sort of uh, try to um, adapt it to what sexual tandem can also deliver. Um, so we started with. Um, categorizing the use cases with uh, either they should be AR, VR, XR, um, ultra-reliable low-latency communication, uh, high data rate communication, non-latency critical, um, and positioning and tracking. So we sort of tried to divide um, them in categories. Right. Yeah. I mean, my impression from maybe based on the uh, the fact that uh, deployment on millimeter wave for outdoor coverage have not really been so successful in the world. It seems like it's this kind of use case that you have been mentioning for for indoor system or systems in a particular confined area or like the Taylor Swift concert kind of situations where you, you really have a lot of line of sight and but you might have very specific system requirements. Is there a specific use case that you think would be the first one where one would deploy a system like this? Um, personally, again, I, I, I think maybe our partners from uh, 60 Thunder might have different opinions, but to me, uh, the enterprise uh, section sector where we have these um, industries like uh, car industry, for example, will really um, take advantage of such systems. Um, because when, when it comes to the production lines or assembly lines, um, if they are wired, um, if you need to make changes, this will cost a lot for the industry. And also, uh, we see that, for example, um, uh, the car industry, where they are producing a car which is worth $20,000 to $80,000, uh, if, if there is a glitch in the assembly line uh, every second will cost them thousands of millions of dollars so um, we see that um, this system can really um, um, help automating uh, industries uh, because then you need a quite huge um, number of data rates latency high resilience and high reliable communication which we can get from these two systems working right. together so uh, before I let Eric ask some more technical questions, I also want to ask you, uh, what kind of set of partners do you need in a product like this to go all the way from system concept to, to hardware design? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think this is, uh, I have worked, as I said, uh, with testbeds and uh, uh, pre-dev uh, activities, but 60 Tandem is quite a uh, one level higher in the sense that it's very um, demanding to find the right profiles and we have them. I mean, we have the communication system uh, and signal and processing, signal processing colleagues. We have, uh, you have the hardware um, um, uh, expertise from Infineon, Hoover and Sooner. Uh, we have, uh, well, Ericsson is here. Um, we have had uh, colleagues uh, working with the link budget um, analysis and system requirements. Um, so, uh, and Eric's, um, Lisbeth's, um, and um, we have Lund, we have Uwe at first. Um, everyone is really um, coming in with their expertise and it's just, it's a wide spectrum of expertise. It can be antenna design. We have just a colleague there uh, with their yeah, 
PhD students working on. So yeah, multidisciplinary. <laughs> it's multidisciplinary. It's an uh, yeah. Yeah, we will put a link uh, to the project and list of the project partners also in the description of this episode. We should, Emil. Yes. So, so yeah. it's an amazing uh, project uh, to be in Parisa. Um, Indeed. We, we talked about uh, quite a bit about frequencies here, right? And the fact that these drives would operate in these sub-terahertz, which is somewhere, did you say 140 or 170, something of yeah. that sort, gigahertz. Yeah. Uh, what bandwidths do you envision that the signals would carry here? Because the, the bandwidth would ultimately, of course, there's abundant bandwidth at these carriers, but uh, the bandwidth would also ultimately determine the data rates that we could get. That is correct. Yeah, we always say uh, we go for subterahertz for its untapped frequency spectrum. And uh, we start with saying that, yeah, D-band has, uh, I don't know, 130 to 170 gigahertz. But of course, it's not like that. We have defined bandwidths there, even in D-band. We have, if I'm not mistaken, 140 to 148 gigahertz. And also 151.5 to 164, for example. Those are the bands that we are at, at least looking at uh, here right. in tandem. Project. So then this means bandwidths on the order of between 5 and 10 gigahertz. So yeah. if you just think like conventionally in comms theory, I mean, if you have a spectral efficiency of one bit per second in hertz, then in a 10 gigahertz bandwidth, you would get across 10 gigabit per second, right? And um, yes. now, obviously, this this will um, all rely on line of sight propagation, because at terahertz, there aren't a lot of reflections, or are there that we can that we can exploit? I mean, I'm, I'm, do you know that, Emil? I mean, in, in terahertz propagation, my, my understanding has been that mainly we, we will have to be in, in line of sight of the of the antenna panel and to get any coverage, right? So you're sitting there in your stadium, you would have line of sight to Taylor Swift and you would have line of sight to the uh, radio stripe uh, antenna panel and then get your, your 10 gigahertz of, or gigabit um, of, of data per second um, um, to upload um, streams. Um, so let's get a bit more technical. So we talked earlier about losses and you mentioned some figures. I think you said, did you say between one and five dB per meter or two, between two dB two and five, five dB, two to yeah. five dB per meter in loss, which means that we need to put the amplifiers there, right? every meter or every few meters at least. Uh, what is a typical output power of an amplifier? If we take like state-of-the-art hardware today for the sub-terahertz band, how much can they feasibly generate before they get too hot or just infeasible to build? I think uh, for this technology that we have in this project, uh, PSAT is uh, 10 dBm. 10 dBm, so that it, means... It can be between 10, 5 to 10, yeah. Yeah, 10 dBm is 10 milliwatt, right? So rather small power levels uh, indeed. So w will this will the stripe um, bring any other problems? I'm thinking of like, um, ideally it should be a a linear and time invariant device, right? I mean, it does attenuate the signal, but would it also introduce any dispersion, dispersion to any significant degree? Yeah, 
I think uh, the dispersion that the um, well, I mean, it it certainly introduces dispersion. Yeah. And uh, maybe group delays of um, maybe ma some picoseconds over um, few tens of gigahertz. Yeah, um, sure. Okay. Um, so now this is getting very quantitative here with, uh, uh, let's say, numbers that uh, could be difficult to relate uh, yeah. on the fly. But <laughs> there'll that, obviously be a time delay, right? Because the signal travels more slowly within yes. the fiber as compared to uh, through the air. But it might yes. also be some, uh, uh, in fact, dispersion uh, in that the phase characteristics isn't linear over the band and exactly. not even the amplitude characteristics. But that probably presumably could be handled by equalization or pre-compensation of, yes. of the, of the, of the yes. transmitted signal, right? Yeah. Um, now that we have amplifiers, um, obviously at the central unit, but also like every meter or so along the stripe, will there be significant nonlinear distortion introduced here that needs to be dealt with? I'm thinking of like nonlinearities is typically something we want to avoid, right? In and, and the main source typically is the, in, in amplifiers. So to, to avoid or to minimize the impact and either we back off the amplifier, which costs us a lot of power or link budget, or we increase the circuit complexity to make them more linear. and. Um, in, in typically in wireless comms, this is a big deal because we want to avoid out-of-band radiation and keep to out-of-band uh, radiation limits that are set in the standard. But how will this be for terahertz? Is non-linearity or non-linearities in these amplifiers going to be a big deal or not? Um. Well, as you say, maybe I can start with the power. As you say, it's uh, quite uh, low power. They are generating these PAs. Um, then, uh, depending on uh, how we have uh, we we are setting up the system, you may need to do backup or not. And then, uh, closing to the uh, saturation, of course, you may introduce more and more um, nonlinearity, and you might, um, yeah, disturb the signal. Um, but uh, we did some, our Chalmers colleagues did um, um, a very intense uh, sort of a study to see how, how many, if, if you have so many, for example, units, would the, would this wreak havoc on your signal or would it be the, would it, would it be the uh, nonlinearities or the losses? How how should you like? There'll what, be a trade-off. Trade yeah, it sounds like yes. there'll be a trade-off here, right? I mean, we could exactly we could decrease backoff, and that will bring more distortion, but it will help the link budget, and and vice versa. Um, so there's a complex interplay between different design choices here in terms of what amplifiers to use, what operating points to select, how often to, or how frequently, or what spacing to put the amplifiers and so on. Yes. Um, so now these plastic fibers that carry the signal, ideally, I suppose when, I mean, you model these using electromagnetic theory, you would model them as perfect cylinders, right? Or just straight like this. <laughs> what happens if you bend the fiber? Because if you, just if you take a regular like signal carrying cable, a coax or something, and you bend it, and the radius of the, the bend here is comparable to the wavelength, and what happens is the signal starts to leak out, right? So is that any significant phenomenon or effect on, on the terahertz stripe, or could we 
basically what will it be like will it have to be just totally straight like this or could it be like deployed in some kind of snake like shape or mm. could you well as far as i have understood from our hoover and sooner um, partner um so they say that this is a um, multi-parameter trade-off when you design the fiber so you have the dispersion you have the um, losses, you have the exactly the bending radius uh, as well, the rigidity of the fiber. Right. Oh. What would be like a typically allowed bending radius? Do you have a feeling for that? Will it be even comparable to the wavelength? Because I feel like if the wavelength is like two millimeters and then yeah, I mean, you can't build, bend this one. I could bend this is like a decimeter. Yeah. I'm bending this is my plastic hose, obviously. It's not really a stripe, but a kind of a mock up. I think it was several decimeters, uh, like several um, decimeters, yeah. But then there might be other effects. It might not be that, the, yeah. the signal actually creeping out, but there might be other effects that the thing is just sturdy, so that it'll be hard yeah. to bend. It got it, yeah. But exactly. it's actually a diff different physical effect. It's not the leakage yes. because the radius is comparable to the wavelength but it's rather that the material itself is so sturdy yes. that you can't bend yeah. it yeah. even even the material impurities can uh, make uh, more dispersion or more leakage to other modes um, so especially <laughs> the, the bandwidth that you mentioned this is very important so um, maybe I can take it later on uh, where we started looking at uh, link budget, um, speaking of the, the bandwidth. But the bandwidth can be limited by fiber, for example, as you say, because um, for a very high bandwidth, uh, you are, you are um, uh, allowing more higher order modes. And then all these bendings or uh, twisting of the um, the fiber make it more uh, prone to um, having leakage to higher order modes. Mm -hmm. um, I see. So there are the sort of effects that, hmm. yeah, I can imagine there must be also other like electromagnetic or well, put it this way, if I take the stripe and it carries a, so this is a plastic stripe and it carries a terahertz signal. Um, basically acting as a waveguide so it will have a core you said made of some plastics and it will have cladding also made but of a different type of plastics now what if i put this close to something close to something like dielectrical like another piece of plastics or close to something metal <laughs> um would that could would that influence would that like could that be like coupling introduced mm. here between the stripe and or how well insulated is the yeah. core from? I, I i may be wrong but i've seen um articles that they mentioned that you try to confine the field more and more into the core right it's more than 90 percent that is confined in the core and then you have some uh, cladding there are also extra claddings which make it more uh, isolated so i've seen these uh, pictures from conferences that people put their hands and uh, uh, or as you say make uh, metal objects closer to this but they didn't see any um, negligible um, it, it's negligible the effect, negligible yeah. The effect. Yeah. Hmm. yeah interesting okay and of course this i i would suppose that you would have have to sacrifice something right i mean the more cladding you put the larger the, the more yes. insulated the better insulated 
will the, yeah. the core and or the signal be but the, the larger di- yeah. diameter the more sturdy the thing will become exactly so, yeah it's so all that's trade-offs like an interesting trade-off there yeah, yeah. <laughs> right uh, and talking about back link budgets, I think we have been speaking about some of the, the issues with uh, losses inside the fiber. Uh, on the other hand, if I remember my basic cone theory books properly, do you have sort of a linear loss uh, with a distance inside a, a cable uh, or, or or this kind of uh, uh, yeah waveguide? While over the air, it's more quadratic in line of sight scenarios. So so in a way, you could I mean even without this kind of amplification, you might benefit from sending the signal along the wall until you're close to the user and then send it from an antenna there over the air and of course you exactly. you also compensate for the losses uh, but uh, talking about then terahertz and link budget over there how far away do you think we can reach uh, if we have a big machine room somewhere in a factory yeah so um when when we started with the use cases we tried to identify um the, the the deployment environment because as you say when we have these uh, robot factories or yeah assembly lines uh, usually the ceiling height is quite high t- 10 meters for example um, then we also had this office space or um, healthcare environments where you have the three to four meters of uh, ceiling height uh, so we use those numbers for our link budget um, but as you say at very at these frequencies, the path loss for ten meters is already ninety something dBs. All right. <laughs> so yeah, I, quite, I guess uh, when, when speaking of the loss in the f- or propagation along the fibers compared to propagation in in the air, one way of thinking about this, I guess, would be that when you when we transmit along the fiber and basically you can think of that as forming an extremely narrow beam so that after a meter it, the signal is only the, the width of the beam is only like the diameter of the fiber right um, so whereas if we just have put an antenna here it transmits omnidirectionally then field will go in all directions but within Indeed. the fiber it will go in extremely narrow it's more confined yeah, yes. sector so there'll be a, an enormous gain in in link budget in bringing the antenna closer to the antenna unit closer to the to the yeah. to the user mm-hmm. so uh, i guess this is a like like a three-year project or something like that uh, so looking forward into the next two years that you will be working here uh, from my perspective who's someone who's not really working with hardware to me it seems like it's the hardware challenges that you really need to to overcome and, and maybe prototyping these type of things are, are these the main challenges or what will you be working on now the fact that I'm also a hardware person, if I say yes, then I guess I'll be <laughs> criticized <laughs> by the project partners. No, but I think it's uh, twofold. Uh, it's both the hardware, but well, it has to work and for, for us to see if it works <laughs> and uh, we can do some measurements. But it is also the system uh, operation of these two frequency bands. And... Um, we think that we need to understand uh, the hardware impairments first and foremost and uh, be able to define the waveforms and the algorithms that these um, 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 the two systems need to work together with so um, i think it is at its at its core it's the hardware but we need to also solve a, a lot of system questions mm. 
And I guess there'll be questions of the sort like what are appropriate waveforms to be used for the terahertz signal rate? I mean, if we have so much bandwidth available, we might not care as much about spectral efficiency. We might care more about um, like hardware friendliness. So constant envelope would be maybe the ideal waveform that... Um, could enable amplifiers to be pushed up higher towards saturation and operated higher efficiency. And there's this trade-off between choice of uh, the sign of the hardware on one hand and the sign of um, waveforms in particular uh, on the other hand. Right. And for someone who is not in, into to hardware design as well, it, it might feel like, okay, you just take like a cable and then you take an amplifier and then put an antenna, you put them together like Lego and then you're, you're done. But uh, there, I also heard this concept of packaging, and uh, which apparently is a challenge. Can you say something regarding that? Absolutely. Yes, that is a, indeed a challenge. Um, so let's say um, we, we go for higher frequencies and you need more antenna elements the size of the if if we have a huge uh, array we don't have it uh, right now for the tandem uh, i will explain that later but let's say you have a huge array and already your size of the um, array is bigger than your chip the the mmic that you have and so um then there are many ways to sort of there are many things that you can discuss there is this uh, uh where you have the problem with the bandwidth, for example, you have a huge bandwidth and then you have a beam squint, how to do the phase shifters, this and that. And then you have a huge uh, set of uh, devices and circuits that you, you need to integrate. And then interconnect losses are quite high at these high frequencies. We cannot read, I mean, we are talking about few dBs now on the fiber, but inside the chip, you want to avoid few dBs of loss when you are connecting the antenna to the the TRX um, switches and the switches are lossy, for example, as well. So you want to bring everything close to each other. And then this, uh, there is this concept of integrating uh, all of uh, the, the chips, modules, and the antenna on the same package. So you have, uh, for, for example, with this technology that we have with the EWLB, embedded wafer level ball grid array <laughs> that Infineon has, uh, you sort of uh, put together the antenna, the chips, you have some redistribution, metallization layers to do the routing, but then it's short uh, mm. routing so that you avoid high losses. Uh, so there, there. That, that'll be losses everywhere, um, basically, and the loss be leakage, I suppose. I mean, it might be one reason why packages, packaging is important here, that anything, yes. any electrical wire of any sort will leak radiation and this problem yes. just gets worse and worse when we go up in frequency. So. Indeed. So yeah. you want to bring closer everything to each other. And then we, here we have the AIP, we, we call it, antenna in package, where you have the um, uh, the chips and antennas uh, on the same package. We put them laterally, like um, not on top of each other because of this current technology that we have. But you can have antenna on package, antenna on chip. There are all these sort of different uh, packaging techniques. Different packaging techniques and, and combinations of, of uh, this can be, be uh, designed. Um, so maybe we could return just before we close up here to the system aspects of the tandem architecture where again we have this radio stripe at terahertz that provides spotwise coverage with very high bandwidths and very high data rates and then we have the sub 10 
can we call that a macro system or at least a sub 10 deployment, presumably some form of massive MIMO or distributed massive MIMO uh, that provides uniform coverage for users that might not at the very moment have, have access or, or be in the coverage zone of an antenna unit from the, from the stripes. So what will this entail for the user terminals like mobile phones, maybe laptops, maybe who knows, uh, artificial rea- augmented reality headset or, or, or something else? Will they need like, because they will have to support this dual mode operation, right? So they will need like antennas for terahertz. They will need some sort of beam steering, presumably to tune into the closest stripe spot. And they will need sub 10 antennas which are already there but there will be some aspects here in like integrating together very different frequency bands is that something you could speak to parisa yes of course um so uh, that is truly a very important point uh because when it comes to the um our link budget and system requirements um, that we currently are um, making any assumption, we need to also make an assumption on the UE um, because you have the receiving end there, for example. Um, And what kind of gain you have, do you have beamforming capabilities or not? Um, At its basic concept that we have here in uh, 60 Tandem, it has to to follow both frequencies. It has to have, as you say, um, sub 10 or sub 6, they already have um, the mobile handsets. And uh, what we did, for example, with the uh, 28 gigahertz, uh, the millimeter wave uh, 5G NR, they also had the uh, antennas uh, for to support that frequency. For example, was it Apple or Samsung that they had uh, even two panels of four or five elements, two five elements um, supporting? I don't know. Was it dual frequency TXRX, for example, um, uh, one panel for each? Um, so, so I think uh, even for uh, tandem. Um, the um, the UE needs to have the um, uh, sub 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 terahertz uh, uh, frequencies, but then um, we also have these questions: should should they have also beamforming characteristics? Uh, will they have how many number of uh, antenna elements you can have there? But what we did for our link budget analysis, we made the assumption that, for example, if you have for 28 gigahertz, you can have four to four, four to five elements. Uh, then maybe you can have 16 elements for um, 140 gigahertz. And so, um, but as you say, um, we don't know if it will be ever realized because these are very high frequencies. You will have maybe more complicated hardware in the handset. Uh, We have to see, it will maybe happen in uh, 10 to 15 years. Um, But um, then, as you say, there are these uh, very um, uh, tiny beams uh, that you will get your hands on uh, mm. where to put the antennas. Yeah, where to put to the antennas, it. right, on the on the actual devices here. That, that also yeah. sounds like a challenge. Um, but also, uh, you mentioned the head mount devices for the AR, VR, XR applications. Um, actually, we did a measurement campaign in uh, KU Love and uh, for 60 Tandem projects. They did some um, tests with the 
millimeter wave um, frequencies, and they see that there is this very big challenge with losing connection because you're moving your heads very fast. There is this rotational speed. We should really be aware of all these. Uh, maybe for the head mount devices, you have to have more coverage on the head or so mm -hmm. not just one element should be made. No, right. I mean, then you'd have to point your um, uh, nose just straight to the axis point. You probably, or antenna unit, you probably want antennas all over the place, right? So you can keep the um, the visual line of sight direction to Taylor Swift. And then at the same time, you got your antenna panel line of sight to the uh, pointing to your, to your, to your stripe. Yes. <laughs> right. So it, it seems like there is a lot of experimental work that needs to be done in order to realize this vision here, which is both in terms of hardware testing and simulation work, because, of course, we can't have all of the hardware uh, available before we start to, to planning things. And uh, yeah, also to know how you would like to build things is good to, to do simulation. So, so what are the kinds of tests uh, that uh, you see on the agenda? Yes, for the validation of the uh, tandem system, we have to start first simple with the, the hardware itself. So we are envisioning to have like um, um, to to test the hardware in the Colbert uh, laboratory in Chalmers, where they have very um, high-end instruments. You have the uh, probe stations to probe the uh, the package or the the chip. To, to test the chips and then you have the packages where you can connect them to the um, arbitrary wave generators uh, and the up, up converters to generate the signal. So it's a lab test essentially. Uh, and at the end, other end where you, uh, so you have the, the radio units, you have the fiber, uh, another radio unit, and then you couple it to an oscilloscope, um, a real-time oscilloscope. Uh, to see how the system works, this uh, hardware system works. And um, probably we will have two of these parallel uh, fibers and um, uh, radio units to see how they work together, uh, maybe do some over the air tests. Um, but then we have this tactile test bed in uh, uh, KU11. Um, where they have uh, availability, maybe I'm wrong, but it's what's quite high number, 280 of sub six uh, units uh, that you can uh, try different constellation of distributed um, uh, units. You can have vertical ring or horizontal. So we aim to have some tests there, uh, trying to under make uh, measurements of the channel uh, and uh, do some rate tracing uh, modeling uh, together with the hardware. Um, that we have measured here for the sub-terahertz. Uh, so we really need to have a modeling framework to see how these things work together because you cannot have that uh, by the end of the project, the, the whole hardware system to do the tests. So we need to make compromise and uh, use the hardware measurements um, uh, and the testbed measurements uh, to have some input, do the modeling framework, em employ the ray tracing. And also the, from the UE side, we need to have some uh, application requirements and mobility information, how, how it will be for the specific use case to make a um, yeah, simulation of these two. I've been actually also uh, thinking about uh, some commercial tools. Maybe we can use that because now 
things have uh, evolved really. So we will see uh, what we can do. But of course, we have our ray tracing uh, tools, uh, open source tools as well. Right. So I have run out of questions here. Do you have anything else to ask, Eric? No, I think it might be time to close up here. Uh, Thanks a lot, Parisa. This has been fun and very educational. Uh, Thanks, Emil. And see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.